This is episode 216 of IDRA Class Notes. When there was the floor debate on the opposing the teaching of the truth bill, and I saw legislators using my analysis of the teeth, I immediately told my husband, like, honey, I created that. That's my work that he's using. (laughs) That was a highlight for me because it just shows that I am able to produce content that legislators can use to defend against a bad bill. Hello, welcome to episode three of four of our special series featuring reflections from the inaugural cohort of IDRA Education Policy Fellows. During this podcast series, you'll hear from our fellows, Dr. Alteria Caldera, Cristina Quintanilla Munoz, Araceli Garcia, and Thomas Marshall. Please check out their bios and work using the link in this podcast. The fellows will share their reflections about their nine-month experience, including what they learned about state-level education policymaking in Texas, what it's like to be an advocate of color fighting for students of color in this state, the good, bad, and ugly of the 87th Texas legislative sessions, and their thoughts on the future of advocacy. My name is Morgan Craven. I'm the National Director of Policy, Advocacy, and Community Engagement at IDRA, and I'm so excited to host this podcast series. Welcome, fellows, to episode three focused on the 87th legislative session in Texas. The good, bad, ugly of the Texas legislative sessions. I'm saying sessions because you all got to experience a regular session and the majority of a special session, which I was really excited, even though it was terrible for you all to go through in terms of your learning. So Christina, I'm going to start with you. How would you describe the work you all did during the legislative sessions? Okay. Oh, that is (laughs) a large question. So I'm going to answer it in the most basic way possible. Then I'll kind of dive a little deeper. The three words to me that come up when I think about our experience or our work were is that it was colorful. It was evocative, but it was very necessary. So I think just to kind of like guide listeners through the journey of what it meant to be a part of this fellowship. First, we started in November with our introduction to the legislative process, the Texas legislative process in particular, the advocacy landscape. So it was several back-to-back Zoom sessions just being inundated with this information, getting us connected to the network that IDRA already had, kind of understanding what our policy area was going to look like fleshed out during the legislative session. So November, December were really those first kind of like introductions to it all. Uh, But near the middle is when everything got chaotic is when the legislative started. And so generally speaking, it was fast paced. It was incredibly overwhelming at times, but extraordinary. I, I won't steal anybody's thunder about, you know, some of the exciting things that happened for us, you know, within our own policy areas. But generally speaking, it was a really unique opportunity to learn about the legislative session while it was happening and kind of like forge our own advocacy approaches and journeys as it was happening. And so like generally speaking for me anyway, in my fellowship, the work 
that I did really looked like doing the research as it was happening and then crafting policy recommendations that informed the the advocates and the coalition spaces who were really um, charging the the lead, so to speak, and like passing these really important bills. And so that was constantly happening. And so at the end of it, it was like, that was a sprint. That was like an 800. That wasn't even like a 100 meter race. That was like an 800 where you had to go, 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 go for what seemed like forever. But that was just my experience. And so I would kind of actually welcome my other fellows to jump in and talk about this if we have time to do it, if they want to, because I think there were so many uh, incredible wins for each of us and definitely some missed opportunities. But in the spirit of keeping things exciting and light, maybe we can share some of our, I don't know, best moments of the fellowship during the legislative session. Yeah, I love it. Anyone else want to jump in and add to that? I thought that was a great overview of the work, but anyone else want to add to that? So I can add something that I was really proud of. I mean, of the things that were on us. So just like personal growth. I think I came from a sort of background where I was doing activism on campus as an undergrad. And it looking back on it, I feels very not, I don't want to say idealistic. And I also don't want to say that it didn't have real impact what we were doing but it really is just very different. And I was also an undergraduate student in California. So at a private institution that had a lot of funding to be able to make those changes happen. And so moving that activism and advocacy to the legislature, where this is not California, this is Texas, and many legislators are more than happy to remind you about what that means and Uh, the kind of power that they wield in the building. And we'll get into, I think, also some of the challenges and some of the issues that the legislature was addressing during these sessions. But a huge win was being able to, I think many of us share this, but write our own pieces of legislation. That is amazing. I never thought that I would be doing something like that. And then even less for a piece of legislation that I wrote to become law in Texas. And it's something that's going to affect over a million students who are learning English in Texas who will now be um, referred to as emergent bilinguals rather than students of limited English proficiency or English learners. It's really, I think, not just a reflection of like my own work, but also of everything that we were able to learn through the fellowship and all the work that our community members also put into that um, because they were also making phone calls to legislators. And it's just a huge, huge win for students of color in Texas. That is a huge win for students of color, for everyone who worked on making that happen, and a huge win for you. And I know we are all part of a large coalition of advocates that are working and have worked for so many years to make things happen. But I also think it's important to highlight everything that you did, Araceli, personally to push that bill through and working with legislators and staff and really helping support that initiative. So thank you. And for our listeners, I just to emphasize, like the odds are against a single bill becoming law. So when that happens, it's something to be really excited about, especially when it's something as good and important as the work that you did, Araceli, this session. So thank you for all of that and being just an incredible leader in that. I'm going to ask you to just continue speaking because you brought up challenging issues. And so I'm wondering if you could just talk about kind of your impressions of some of the most challenging issues that were addressed by the legislature, uh, the Texas legislature this session and special session, and some of the most concerning approaches to education policymaking that you observed. Yeah. And so I'll speak for myself on this one, but 
it's just this session was just felt like a barrage from all sides, from voter suppression legislation to permitless carry to abortion bans, like you name it, it was on the table for Republicans to inhibit, hamper, prohibit, just all around felt like people were attacking me and all the communities that I look like and represent and the communities that we look like and represent from just all sides and education and the classroom was not spared by any means. So many folks who are familiar with education policy in Texas and just in general have heard anything about critical race theory and all of these bills that seek to allegedly get rid of critical race theory, ban the 1619 project. The way that we at IDRA are talking about it is really just a whitewashing of history and the teaching of history, it's censorship in the classroom. And obviously, they're intentional, right? I think that there's just like, they're not even trying to hide it at this point. They're taking out language. And so HB 3979 passed into law. And during the special session, we saw the emergence of SB3, like it wasn't good enough for them to pass those things. They wanted to make sure that they took out the parts that said that they also had to teach that white supremacy is morally wrong. The inconvenient speeches of Frederick Douglass and Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, because we know that they love to cite only what is convenient for them. And so all of those things were really difficult. And I think in our previous podcast, we talked a little bit about how heavy that can be for us as policy fellows of color on all the kinds of things that go into that. And it's so hard to believe that in the same session that something like 3979 can pass really good bills like HB 1504 almost made it the whole way, you know? <laughs> so it definitely has its highs and lows. And for our listeners, HB 1504 is? Oh, right. HB 1504, you get sucked into the world, you know? You do, you know uh, those numbers. <laughs> the, those numbers are like marked and printed now forever. But HB 1504 would have allowed for ethnic studies courses to count toward the general social studies requirement that all students, all high school students have to meet. Currently, it's an elective. So if students want to take it, they have to give up another elective like sports or music or dance, things like that. This would have basically made ethnic studies part of the social studies curriculum. And so while we have a whitewashing of social studies in the same session, we have things that are reaffirming of ethnic studies and that almost made it all the way through. So it's bright spots, like I said, and, and difficult ones too. But it felt good to know that there were people also fighting back on all of those fronts. Hi, hi, Lolos. Mm-hmm. Altheria, so Araceli just gave a kind of overview of some of the most challenging issues, the substantive policy issues. I'm wondering if you could talk for just a couple of minutes about your thoughts on like the process of policymaking generally in the Texas legislature and the good, bad, ugly that you observed during the 87th session? Sure. I found the process to be intentionally cumbersome. There were many times when I thought that certain things were supposed to happen because this is the way the process goes. And then, you know, the one that is probably most notorious was the night that we thought this bill was dead and we were hesitant to be victorious, Morgan, even though we wanted to celebrate, but you cautioned us. You were like, uh, just, just kind of hold your horses a little bit. 
And I think it's because you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Texas legislature. You knew that they could pull something out of their hat. And they I'm, a, I'm a wise and scarred woman. <laughs> and so like when we were ready to tweet about it, you told us, wait a minute, let's just wait a little while before we do. And that to me shows the lack of transparency, the lack of good intent, the willingness to do whatever they needed to do to pass the laws that they want to pass. And these are the same people who are saying that we need more civic literacy, right? We need students to be more aware of governmental processes and how things work. Well, what good does that do if you're going to sneakily maneuver your way around the legislative session? And even when the special session came back up, after the governor had signed 3979, the anti-truth, I would rather call it than what is also known as, but the anti-truth bill. He signed it into law, but then put it back on the calendar for the special session. To me, that was really confusing. I didn't know like why or what would happen. And it just was disappointing to see the lack of integrity in the process, in a process that you want people to trust and become a part of. I didn't leave there thinking that this was a process that was evidence of democracy in any way. And I know that some things happen the way that they should, but those bad moments really jaded what I believe about democracy, especially when it comes to prohibiting people's voices from being heard. I don't care what time of night it was when the hearing was. First of all, we should have been given proper notice about the hearing. But then when people show up to participate in the process, allow them to participate. And to me, that was dishonest. I'm so sorry to turn to you for this, Thomas, but what are we going to do about it? (laughs) Those are some heavy challenges, both with the substance of what um, the legislature can sometimes focus on and the process itself. And I I know we touched on this a little bit in a previous episode, but I would love to hear your thoughts, um, having gone through this, about what changes are crucial that we need to make to make sure that the legislature operates in a way that allows more space to advocates, community members, that they're being informed by diverse communities, both in terms of which pieces of legislation are most important to focus on in the process itself. Yeah, no, I think everything Alphelia brings up are the questions we should be asking and thinking about how we really can make this process even more democratic than, I don't know, I even kind of grapple with the things of protecting our democracy, because what is there really to protect, honestly? I don't think there's much really to protect if we're being really honest. So I will take this time to attempt to reimagine and figure out in a perfect world, in an equitable, just society, what would a legislator for us look like? I would completely strip everything. It would look completely different. There would be no politicians. There would be communities that would write their own laws because they obviously know what is best for them. And we would be able to have hearings that are for when people get off of work and are tailored towards the working class and have nothing to do with how elites and even people with all the degrees and stuff in their names have a chance to testify. No one with a degree would be allowed to testify. I don't know. We just need to completely change the system. But I say these ideas and I bring these things in because it really speaks to we've been just very conditioned to believe that this is the status quo. 
and that this is the norm and that it's okay for our government to not work with us. And it's okay for our politicians to not listen to us and actively listen to us for days on end. Like they are elected for a reason. That's their jobs. They are there to serve people. And so it's now in our in our jobs to think of some of those creative ways um, that we talked about in some previous episodes that are able to have people directly involved with the process. Because it's sad that some people's, and I think a lot about young people um, and a lot of high school students, some of their first beginning interactions with the legislator is very jaded and not a really good experience. It's very negative. And so if that is the first step into civic engagement. And, you know, it's really very telling about kind of these bills and, and these bad things that they're trying to, to push through that they want to redo civic engagement. They're already not being very good proponents of that in the very beginning um, when working with folks. And so, yeah, we need to reimagine our new system and, and maybe we're the people. Maybe we change that. I mean, we think about what a, a Texas legislator looks like that actually benefits folks. So many ideas to think about. I love it. I especially like the part of your idea that would keep all of us from like testifying. And I'm not saying that in a joking way, but each of us on on this podcast is disqualified under your system or or we're about to be disqualified. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's what our job should be. And I love that so much is helping to make the space and then support other people to step in there and do it. So I will move to Thomasville or wherever, whatever. <laughs> in, in <this laughs> utopia you're creating. Right. In this utopia that we create, there are no presidents or anything like that. Maybe that's just my view for the entire country. And that's a bigger thing. <laughs> yeah. Different podcasts, but love yeah. it. Althiri, were you going to add anything? I was just about to tell Thomas that I'd gladly live in that world that he's describing. Yeah. Love it. And, you know, while we're thinking of the positive, Araceli, you shared what your, your proudest moment of the legislative session, Christina, could you share yours? Yes. Several issues that I was able to help advocate for throughout the legislative session. And I can talk about each of them more in depth. One accomplishment I think that feels the most satisfying for me as an advocate is adding an amendment to HB5, which was, well, is an omnibus broadband bill that was passed this session. And I think it's the most satisfying and one win that brings me the most joy is that, yes, as I mentioned, our experience throughout the legislative session was a sprint. But our work is really a marathon. And HB5 is a bill that responds to some of these systemic inequities that I've described several times. Texans are more specifically students are really being impacted by the digital divide. And this was a testament to how broad this issue is or has been um, and was really exacerbated through the COVID pandemic. And so just being able to add the language of having an urban representative or urban school district representative on that council. So just to kind of back up and clarify, HB5, the Omnibus Broadband Bill, kind of establishes and creates this Governor's Broadband Development Council. It creates a state broadband plan 
And it also develops a mapping system to help uncover the areas that are underserved in our state as related to their connectivity to broadband internet services. So simply adding a representative to this council that represents so many communities of color who have been impacted by this issue for generations is a win because this is going to be a really pivotal hallmark step into responding to this issue that has been plaguing our state for a long time. And unfortunately, our students have been bearing the brunt of it all. Our communities of color have been bearing the brunt of it all. And to me, that was a huge win, especially because I got to work on that with Thomas, who, by the way, has been the most incredible thought partner I've ever had in my education experience and my professional experience. Thomas has literally been a brain mate. I call him my brain soulmate because I feel like he and I ride this like same brain wave of thought and idea. And we were able to collaborate on this. A lot of this work in our digital equity advocacy, it came to head really when we were able to get this amendment passed. And so that to me was not just like our work, it's been work that has been kind of accruing and accumulating something that we came into as novices in. And now we feel like this is work that we can talk about. We can talk about how it impacts our communities and we can talk about solutions that are sustainable. And that to me is what I'm most proud of is knowing that all the hard work that came before us and in our hard work throughout the fellowship, that that was a win. Truly a win. Truly a win. I'm going to let your brain soulmate just keep this going because this is amazing. I can say a million nice things about Christina and, and truly we we definitely were brainmates being able to bounce ideas off of each other and also just really push each other and to be the best versions of ourselves within our work was so impactful. We could not have done any of the work without each other. And so it really makes it really special to be able to do such really thoughtful work beside her. But that's one of, of course, one of the things that I really think about as as a win and as well as the a win for me was the relationships um, with other advocates that we learned about in the digital equity space. That is a space that I did not have that much prior knowledge beforehand. Every single person we met with was the most kind and thoughtful people. And because it's, it's not a big community yet, and it's still, I think, niche and still has a long ways to go and to grow in. And every single person sat down with us and we had countless new mentors that would come up and really guide alongside me and Christina's work. And so it made it really special to continue to feel like we were doing this work with people that were, we were in community with, which meant a lot. And so it goes back to, to what we think about when we talk about the nature of these relationships and how important they are in advocacy work and doing work alongside people that you can collaborate with and and really think of the big grandiose ideas with makes it all the work. I love it. Thank you. I, my brain soulmate is on this podcast recording too, although you listeners have not heard from her, but this is how I feel about Selena Moreno. So I'm so happy to see that develop among you all too. It's a wonderful thing when you have it in your life. Altheria, what about you? I've thought a lot about this what I'm most proud of or my accomplishments that were most meaningful. And I think there are two that I'd like to share. And one of them is just the fact that I was able to convince legislators to file bills that I wrote. 
that still boggles my mind how that was possible that I was able to get meetings with them and have them to listen to me and to convince them that my ideas had merit. So even though they weren't passed, that was huge for me as a confidence booster early on to know that I could have that level of influence was a huge accomplishment. And the thing I think I am most proud of out of everything that happened, and this might sound silly, but when there was the floor debate on the opposing the teaching of the truth bill, and I saw legislators using my analysis of the teeth mm-hmm. to defend against the bill. And I was watching online and it was going into the early hours of the morning. And this bill has been really important to me and someone that I follow really closely. So when I think it was Tallarico who pulled out and he was flipping the pages And I saw our chart that Christy created based on the analysis that I had done. I immediately told my husband, like, honey, I created that. That's my work that he's using. (laughs) That was a highlight for me because it just shows that an everyday person can make such a difference. Like I am able to produce content that legislators can use to defend against a bad bill. That was a huge highlight for me and something that, you know, that I'm really proud of that moment. And you should be. Not the only time I saw legislators flipping through your work. I'm thinking about the top 10% plan hearing too. So incredible work. You all did incredible work. And I know that you only had a few minutes to talk about the thing you were most proud of, but I know that list is long for, for each of you. I am certainly proud of so many things that you have done, not just what you can like take off as an accomplishment, but just the growth that I have seen in all of you and the relationships that you have developed and just getting to know you as such wonderful people. So thank you. This will be the end of our third episode. Listeners, we'll see you for the fourth and final episode soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.